0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill Filippo and I do not have a co-host today, uh, as we try to do uh, when we don't hate people from the opposing fan base. Went out and got someone to give us a glimpse into Penn State's opponent this week. And, of course, this is a big one that the Nittany Lions have on the horizon, playing host to the sixth-ranked Michigan Wolverines. Michigan sits at 8-1 eight, eight on the season. Fifth in SP+, 17th in offensive SP+, 8th in defensive SP+, and 2nd in special teams SP+. It's been an interesting series uh, over the years. It seems like when Michigan wins, it's a blowout. When Penn State wins, eh, maybe not necessarily, but Penn State has won three of the last four, including last year's 27-17 game, that I straight up do not remember a single thing that happened in it. Uh, To learn a little bit about this Michigan team, though, we decided to go out and get in touch with the only person who is not one of my regular employers to pay me money to write words for them <laughs> this year. Uh, my pal ACE and Bender uh, of the bucket problem newsletter and podcast ACE, what is going on? Uh,
1: I'm not much bad other than I'm moving, but, um, I, I just want to say that I feel like you paid for that article more than I paid you for that article.
0: <laughs> well, I, I swear to God. So for those of you who don't know, uh, there is a restaurant owned by some guy named Urban Meyer in Columbus that uh, Ace uh, paid me to go eat at. And he did financially uh, compensate me, yes, but the sheer amount. Uh, of things I had to put in my digestive tract so I could sleep that night uh, wasn't fun neither here nor there uh, you can go read it I, I thought it came out well and of course Ace does a spectacular job covering Michigan athletics including Michigan football and I think that's actually like the most natural segue into the question I like asking at the start of these Ace and that is the vibe I got from Michigan football and during the season it's There was just this big sense of uncertainty. Harbaugh got that contract extension uh, that, let's face it, made it easier for Michigan to fire him after this year. And it seemed like it was just a really bad vibe around the program. And now you look where they are now, again, eight and one on the cusp of being a playoff team. Uh, Can you just tell me what were the expectations for Michigan football entering this season and then how has that changed as the year has gone on and we've gotten to the point that they're they're sitting at eight and one
1: i mean i think my kind of pre-season process was relatively typical and i went through uh, a long period of disinterest after uh, the harbaugh extension because i don't think i was alone in Mich- among michigan fans and hoping that uh they just move on um i mean it kind of felt like they were obviously, like you said, kind of setting up to be able to get rid of him easier. And it just felt like they were entering this really like there was just a ton of downside in in going into a season with the sort of dead man walking vibe that Harbaugh had. And you worried about how it not just impact the team on the field, but also recruiting. And then they turned over almost the entire defensive staff, a couple of the offensive coaches. uh, And it felt, pretty desperate and then um I started when I was doing my season preview process which I think is what moves me into a different uh category for most Michigan fans in terms of like spending weeks studying the team um or at least some of them uh I just started looking through position by position and I was like okay there's a lot of talent still on this team and that I started getting more and more optimistic. I started kind of talking myself into things with the coaching changes and then still predicted them to go seven and five. So I think that was <laughs> kind, of, kind of where things were at heading into the year. And now um, obviously expectations have, have shot up and um, I'm now, you know, happy that they stayed the course with Jim Harbaugh. Cause I mean, I I'm a, Matt Campbell stand as anybody who follows me on Twitter over the last couple of years has learned. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, in terms of being able to keep consistency within the program, land some recruits, and, uh, most importantly, have some really promising results on the field that indicate some greater potential for the future than what we've seen previously, or at least since 2016, um, I mean, this is a team that uh, I, I don't think they're like a top four team in the country. I, I don't think this is a playoff team, but they might back their way in somehow. I don't know. Uh, there are like three good teams this year in college football.
0: Yeah, and I I'm glad you you highlighted the fact that it seems like Michigan fan. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I there is one Michigan fan with whom I talk you know, four times a week and he is listening to this podcast. I'm not going to say his name, but he will hit me up in Slack and say, he knows he meant is mentioning me. Uh, But the vibe that I get is that for most Michigan fans, it seems like there has been a major element of, you know, listen, maybe the bottom falls out, who knows, but we're just going to enjoy this ride because like you mentioned, coming into this season, it felt like preparations were being made for a funeral on the Jim Harbaugh era of Michigan football. Is that a fair read on it?
1: I think for a large number of people, absolutely. Um it, there's definitely I mean it's it's Michigan. We've been burned so many times that I think a lot of people there there's the portion of the fan base that kind of watches every game through the lens of how does this impact the Ohio State game? So even like a you know mistake made yeah. in the blowout portion of a game against Rutgers, they're looking at it as, oh, well, if that's Chris Olave out there, then this is seven points. And it's like, okay, uh, that this is very tiresome. Uh, but um, I think for a lot of people, there there is this feeling of just like, well, after, uh, particularly last season, when, it, I mean, the defense was just abject, uh, to see them turn it around the way that they have is has not only been fun for watching the games this season, but... Gives some hope that Michigan is going to be able to compete for Big Ten titles, which honestly I was kind of thinking was a while away if they were going to have to go through a, yet another coaching change.
0: So let's dive into. Uh, this Michigan football team, again, sixth in the last playoff rankings. They came out yesterday, a little bit controversially, uh, they were ranked above, uh, Michigan state. Uh, I- I'm going to put you on the spot. What were your thoughts?
1: on? I that? thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> 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 I mean, I put very little stock into playoff rankings in mid We've seen how those can kind of get flipped around, but, um, and also just like, they're going to change so much, but, um, yeah, I, I. Michigan didn't lose to at, Purdue. At that, so I, th- I think that's Yeah, cool. I was gonna
0: say at that point <laughs> at that point you were just sitting there and going like listen, yes my guess is that your reaction was listen, yes, lost to them, I get it. But at the same time, like any time Michigan fans can laugh at Michigan State fans, my understanding is you're going
1: to. Absolutely. And it wasn't just that Michigan State lost to Purdue. It's that a lot of people predicted that they'd lose to Purdue. And (laughs) I I won money betting that they would lose to Purdue straight up. So I was feeling extremely good on Saturday. And yes, I was going to tweet about it. (laughs) Well. Getting
0: into this Michigan team again, sixth in uh, the last playoff rankings, fifth in SP 17th on offense, eighth on defense, second on special teams. A lot of that special teams stems from the fact, uh, don't have to dive into this uh, too much and how we won't dive into this at all. Uh, they have a very good place kicker in Jake Moody, who's about as automatic a kicker as there is in college football. If it comes down to his leg, Penn state is losing the football game, but I want to start with Michigan's offense. Uh, again, 17th in offensive SP plus Penn state fans are very familiar with, with the offensive coordinator, uh, former Whitney Lion wide receivers coach Josh Gaddis. And before we get into the players, personnel, whatever they do, Ace, the thing that is so fascinating to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is it seemed to me like when Josh Gaddis came in, there was all the stuff about Uh, you know, schematic changes and modernizing the offense, more speed, more better athletes, blah, 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 blah. It seems to me that Michigan's success this season has been decidedly because they've decided we're going to put some big fellas up on the offensive line. We're going to run the football and we're going to understand that we're just not going to be able to out-athlete people. Is that a fair read on it? Is this, uh, I hate making this sound like I'm trying to... uh, say there's a wedge here, but is this just Josh Gaddis calling plays in a Jim Harbaugh offense, or is there that element of what Josh Gaddis wants to do as a more spread out, you know, Joe Moorhead disciple type of guy on that uh, in, in how he runs
1: his unit? It's funny because I would say the, the distribution is obviously influenced by Jim Harbaugh in terms of the run versus the pass, but this is also by far the most cohesive offense that They have had since Gattis arrived in 2019 in terms of it just felt for the first two years that and and they were certainly limited in large part by quarterback play, but it also felt like there was just some clashing of styles that led to like play action passes that were based off of run plays that Michigan wasn't ever running. And like, there was just stuff that like, it it really felt like a disjointed offense. And this, this feels like it's the most sensible offensive approach that Michigan has had in a long time. Hmm. And yeah, they have, they have a lot of beef up front and a very good run blocking line. And I think they've also recognized that I have a they have a better run-blocking line than a pass-blocking line. The stats mm. will tell you otherwise. Um, Michigan gives up very few sacks, but that is in large part because Cade McNamara is among, I think, the top 10 quarterbacks in the country in terms of uh, least amount of time to getting the ball out. Um, so uh, there has been some complaint about like the lack of shots downfield in this offense, but they still take some, and uh, everything's getting out quick. Um, so they they did early on run with like army levels of like uh pass run <laughs> ratio but at this point i i, I think gaddis has control of this offense and they just have settled into a pretty good place of knowing what they're good at and uh acknowledging the limitations of their personnel cuz k McNamara, i think is a solid quarterback but he definitely has some limitations.
0: Yeah. Michigan this season, second in the big 10 in scoring offense at 36.2 per game, third in total offense at 451 yards per game. Uh, passing offense is a uh, pretty pedestrian, uh, but that's been lifted a spy, a spectacular running game uh, behind a really a pair of backs that I, I I liked Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum. I did not expect them to be anywhere near this good. What is the dynamic that exists with the two of them? What makes them so good? And then kind of the big thing hanging over all of this is Blake Corum's health, whether he will be able to play on Saturday. And if he doesn't, is the plan going to just be we're
1: feeding it to Hassan 35 times? I mean, I, I I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, just to get that out of the way, if Quorum doesn't play, I think Hassan Haskins is going to get a lot of carries. Um, the dynamic between the two has been, um, you're going to hear thunder and lightning if they, if they both take the field in this game. That's just how it is. Um, Haskins, very much a power back, even though he doesn't look, I mean, he's not like a, to throw it back a little, a Ron Dane build or anything like that. Like he's, he's not this huge beefy guy. He's just remarkably strong and just keeps his legs going. So he's had a number of plays this season where, um, you know, he gets caught in a pile and the pile just ends up moving like five or 10 yards. And a lot of that is because he just has this incredible ability to keep his legs going even while basically wrapped up, um, He's also got a real mean stiff arm. So he's a guy who's not necessarily going to pop a ton of huge runs, but it's very, very difficult to take him down anywhere less than three yards downfield. He's just going to continue to gain positive yardage. Uh, Coram has some of that in the, in him. He's a really difficult player to take down too. He's extremely compact, uh, but he has a video game level jukes and brings more to the passing game, at least in terms of receiving Haskins is a really excellent, um, blitz pickup uh, artist, but, uh, not necessarily as dynamic of a pass catcher as quorum who can split out into the slot and make a lot happen from there. And, uh, so that's, that's the main thing that I think Michigan will be missing. If a quorum does sit out this game, Michigan is being typically vague about it. Um, I, I can't I, Jim Harbaugh described the injury for quorum as quote, somewhat le- somewhere less than serious unquote. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Mike Hart, the running back backs coach is quote unquote hopeful that he'll play. So that's about as much as we're going to get, I think until right around kickoff. Um, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, but I, I think the running game is going to be strong no matter what. and, Third downs is where you're going to see Michigan have to restrict the playbook a little bit more than they have. If it's Haskins in the backfield instead of Quorum because they don't really have uh, another pass catching back. Uh, Tavier Dunlap is the next man up, and he's a four star freshman who. Is really uh, it looks kind of like a carbon copy of Haskins, to be honest, but hasn't hasn't developed that uh it's a, a haskins level player yet um, in the very limited action that we've seen
0: yeah haskins in the year 165 carries 829 yards 11 touchdowns quorum 137 78 and 10 uh quorum against indiana last week uh Carried the ball once, ended up coming out of the game, got put into a walking boot uh, with what was called a lower leg injury, and then, like Ace said, it's been a it's been a little vague as to whether or not we're going to see him on Saturday. Uh, and if he, regardless of whether he plays on Saturday, uh, a lot's going to be put on Cade McNamara, the former four-star quarterback recruit uh, in the class of 2019, who has. In that in last year's game, he went twelve for twenty-five for ninety-one yards. And the one thing that I do remember about watching the Penn State Michigan game last year was thinking if they roll this dude out there next year, they are doomed. They brought in a five-star in uh JJ McCartney, who we will uh JJ McCarthy, apologies, uh who we will mention in a second. They brought in the grad transfer Alan Bowman for Texas Tech, but Ace McNamara has been able to win this job, make it his own, and even without stud wide receiver Ronnie Bell, while Michigan's passing game isn't, you know, air raid or anything, it's been totally fine. To the point that I would say is slightly above average. What has McNamara done this year that has made him so effective? Even though, like we mentioned, he's a he is a limited quarterback without his number one receiver uh, since the
1: first game of the year. Yeah, he he really just does it with knowledge of the offense. He's somebody who, I, I mean, I mentioned earlier, he, he just gets the ball out extremely fast. And that's not just dumping it off. Uh, I mean, he will do, he will check down a fair amount. He is a safe player, but that's also a lot of what Michigan wants, especially when they've got this very consistent uh running attack that they have paired with the passing game and they've also been very aggressive in going for it on fourth and short situations this year so they're fine with a quarterback who's going to be more liable to take the easy yardage than try to force things and uh mccarthy's thrown two interceptions on two hundred two hundred ten 210 attempts all year and Uh, Pro football focus has him down for three additional turnover-worthy plays all season. So there's just a very safe aspect to him as a quarterback. And really the main limiting thing with him is that he is like Ben Roethlisberger level slow. (laughs) So (laughs) a a main complaint uh, that I think is actually kind of absurd when you watch them play about Uh, Michigan's offense is that there isn't really a uh, quarterback keep aspect to the running game when McNamara's on the field. Uh, They do sprinkle McCarthy in there and and do run more legitimate zone reads with him in the game. But Michigan's running game has been, uh, you know, as we've covered, perfectly fine uh, with McNamara at quarterback. There have been some issues in the red zone, um, which has impacted Michigan. It did play a pretty big role in the loss to Michigan state uh, that Michigan hasn't been great at, at finishing drives. So that is something to watch for. They will, uh, they seem more ready to use JJ McCarthy as their red zone quarterback because he is significantly more mobile than McNamara and uh, will even make some guys miss uh, a little bit. Um, He is eager to run and uh, is, In the beginning, it was very much a a quarterback keep tip tip if he was running. But he's finally started giving the ball a little bit to to the point where defenses can't just, uh, you know, kind of hone in on him.
0: Okay, so I need to ask you about the McCarthy thing. Five star quarterback, a true freshman five star quarterback quarterback. The only reason he was the fifth quarterback in his class was because he was part of a really, really good recruiting class and actually got bumped down a spot because of Quinn Ewers uh, reclassifying. I don't think if people haven't watched Michigan, they don't realize how weird the McCarthy stuff can be because it like to me again, please correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like they will be in a second and eight and throw him in there for one play and then say all right come on back it's Cade's time now like how is Michigan using him is it just as that sort of running quarterback is it for is it for longer periods of times than I have caught on for or is it literally like they're just subbing out McNamara for one or two plays and then you know that's it for two drives
1: I can very much understand why it's confusing to somebody who Does not watch Michigan every weekend, because even to people who do, it's it's a little hard to figure out (laughs) Um, my take on it is that it it, I mean, not just take, but, you know, the way he's been used is that there is a certain level of kind of randomly sprinkling him in uh, during McNamara's drives. Uh, especially as Michigan gets down into the red zone, they've started just like giving him the red zone a little bit more often. But they will keep McNamara in there sometimes. Uh, so the the usage is very inconsistent in when McNamara begins a drive at quarterback. McCarthy and I apologize for the fact that both these guys' names start with Mac. Um, <laughs> it gets confusing to us too. Um, but McCarthy has also just received some full-blown, just like, we're going to give you a drive here and there, uh, in the competitive portion of games. And it kind of seems like they know Cade McNamara can get them to a certain level. And they also know that in all likelihood, JJ McCarthy is going to be their starter next year, or he's going to transfer. And they definitely do not want that. Um, and he doesn't he he makes some wild plays. He is definitely somebody who tries to uh, extend plays for better or worse. there There is some freshmen in him. He's also capable of making some really spectacular plays uh, while doing that. But um it, there's a, it feels like they're protecting the team from his as much as they can from his downside while also working in a little bit of his upside and keeping him involved. So that they can eventually turn the keys over to them, and the question is whether they do that by the end of the season or whether this is something that they're more doing in preparation for next year.
0: And you know, last thing is just talking about strengths and weaknesses, but I think we've covered enough. That just can I real quick, Michigan's offensive line. It seems to me like. After a couple of years of things being a little hairy with that group, they've gotten back to being really, really good, really, really nasty. When I think of what gave Penn State problems uh, in that Illinois game, it was the fact that Illinois just had a bunch of big, bruising physical guys who were able to win up front against a depleted Penn State uh, defensive front. Can you just go real quick on Michigan's defensive line? Uh, Michigan's offensive line, are they – uh, as good as some of the really great units we've seen out of Michigan in recent years, uh, better at run blocking, pass blocking, just what's the general deal
1: with them? I would say uh, they're not quite at that like great level, um, but they are a very solid unit, especially in the running game. Um, they are definitely helped by the fact that they have a really experienced uh, center in Andrew Vistardis, who is uh really able to keep things organized in a way that um you're you're not seeing a lot of major mistakes for Michigan and that's allowed the running backs to even if somebody gets beat in a one on one blocking situation uh these backs are very capable of making at least one man miss on a run uh, so the the run blocking has been i would say sufficient I wouldn't say it's necessarily been great um I would say the same about the the pass blocking just because uh, there are a a couple moments where, you know, if teams time things up right, uh, especially if they're showing uh, some more confusing looks up front where Michigan's line can get got. um, They have cycled through uh, a few different guards, four different guards have have started games because um, they were kind of rotating three guys through to start the season. And then, there were injuries to to two of them, possibly three of them. Is it, there have been a lot. Of, you never know with Michigan. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh I think this is a a, a good line, a uh, relatively well coached line. And uh but I, I I am interested to see what happens when they go against uh, another high level defense like Penn State's, because I, I do think both the running backs and the quarterback have been able to mask a little bit of their deficiencies.
0: And, and then one last thing about the offense uh, with Ronnie Bell out. I, I don't think it's a surprise that Michigan kind of lacks a number one receiver. Cornelius Johnson has done a nice job. Uh, Eric all has done nice work as a tight end. I don't want to ask about any of them. I just want to ask because I'm pretty sure a lot of Penn state fans checked out Michigan against Michigan state. Did they literally just play Andrell Anthony and feed him the football because that game was in. East Lansing?
1: <laughs> I mean. So he, he has six, seven catches on the year. Six of them came in that game. Yeah. I imagine. I mean, he was, so yes, he was from East Lansing high school and it was very nice to just <laughs> unleash him for that game. We were hurt hearing a lot of good things about him in the off season and leading up to the season. Wide receiver was supposed to be one of Michigan's most stacked positions. And then um, they've had some injuries because in addition to uh, Ronnie Bell uh, tearing his ACL in game one, um, Roman Wilson has had a wrist injury where even if he's been in some of these games, he hasn't really been able to uh, go in and do anything but run block. So um, Anthony, I I mean— He certainly looks the part against Michigan state and, uh, he did have a couple plays against Indiana at least. So it looks like there's some promise there. I don't know if he's always going to, he's not always going to be as dominant as he was against Michigan state. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, a receiving core that's solid, but doesn't necessarily have that guy who's going to blow you away. Uh, Johnson makes some pretty impressive plays, but also has had some, uh, rougher games this year where he's not not helping out his quarterback making plays as much as he could.
0: Uh, The moving to the other side of the football, Michigan's defense, again, eighth in defensive SP+, third in the Big Ten in scoring defense, second in total defense, uh, second in passing defense, and sixth in rushing defense. To me, Ace, there is one place to start, and that is with These two defensive ends, David Ojabo, Aiden Hutchinson, for me, maybe the best defensive end pairing in college football. Is there any way to slow these guys down? Or is it a matter of they're going to get theirs, uh, worry about figuring out how to do things to take advantage of any of the other 10 players on Michigan's defense? Nine players, sorry.
1: Yeah, you're going to want to get the ball out fast against these guys because I don't see much of a... Way to deal with them other than either providing a lot of help, uh, like a lot of help in in, in a way that makes your offense unsound or having NFL-level offensive tackles. Because Hutchinson has risen to the point where he's being talked about as like the 1B to Kayvon Thibodeau's 1A in terms of the draft-eligible pass rushers. Uh, And David Ojabo is also being projected in the first round now, After uh, and he was— not really on the radar heading into the season. This is a guy who is from literally Scotland, um, was actually stuck there for part of the pandemic. And, uh, um, is this is, I think his fourth year of playing football fourth or fifth year period. So, uh, and these guys aren't just pure pass rushers. They are excellent against the run, um, Testing the edge against Michigan is not uh, not a fun way to to get your yardage.
0: I did the fun thing where I hit mute, and I forgot to hit <laughs> mute. Uh We're not cutting any. We're not. We're not cutting any of this, folks. So you get to uh, laugh at me uh, as Ace also just did. Uh, but the big thing that has interested me about this Michigan defense so far this year is that. Jim Harbaugh made a really high-profile move uh, when he brought in Mike McDonald. Uh, he was uh, He he was an assistant under John Harbaugh with the Ravens, is that correct?
1: Yeah, he was their co-defensive coordinator, but when you're co-defensive okay. coordinator with Dean Pease, uh, that means you're the assistant to the assistant kind of a thing, I think. But uh, it's God. worked out pretty well, given that. What do you— what? <laughs>
0: What what do you think high school was like for Dean Pease? Rough,
1: I imagine. Real rough.
0: (laughs) But yes, brought in Mike McDonald. uh, Young, interesting uh, option for defensive coordinator. uh, Joined in January of this year. And comes with that NFL pedigree. He spent some time at Georgia uh, under Mark Rick. But he spent the last however many years in uh, Baltimore working with the Ravens, I think when people think of Michigan football ace under Jim Harbaugh, they think of how Don Brown defenses attacked, attacked, attacked. And in games, we saw them do that to their detriment. Hmm. How would you compare this defense to those Don Brown defenses? Are they a little bit more reserved in how they do that? Are they more well organized? Are they. Or are they leakier? Like, what's the, uh, not even just compared to last year, compared to the last couple of years of Michigan defenses, how does this one kind of stack up?
1: I I think the big thing is that they are significantly more multiple and also less rigid in terms of, uh, I mean, Don Brown was going to run man coverage, whether or not his quarterback, cornerbacks were suited to run press man. And uh, last year we saw, we finally saw what happens when you just don't have uh, a second cornerback who can run press man. Uh, and it was a flaming disaster. Uh, I mean, Michigan had had pretty good cornerbacks until then. And uh, that approach hadn't really burned them unless there were issues like, I don't know, manning up Saquon Barkley with Mike McRae um, or uh, anything that happened in the Ohio state <laughs> games every year. Uh, but right now, the biggest difference is that um they're often playing with two high safeties, uh, their cornerbacks. Sometimes they'll be up, but a lot of times they are either playing, uh, soft man coverage or they're just in cover two zones or cover three. They are providing a lot more help. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that necessarily has made them less aggressive. The, the, odd front, the, the the move to the 3-4 has really allowed them to be less predictable in terms of where they're bringing pressure from. So, 16 different Michigan players have tackles for loss. Um, that's a much bigger distribution than what they tended to have under uh, Don Brown where it was kind of the weak side defensive end and the linebackers were making plays and everybody else was just kind of pushing guys around. Um, and at this point uh your guess is as good as mine as to which linebacker is going to be firing through a gap they'll they'll bring a safety they'll uh they'll drop either one of uh, those outside linebackers of Jabba or Hutchinson into coverage Uh, Hutchinson actually blew up a throwback to the quarterback uh I think last week um and they were lucky that that pass was not accurate or it would have resulted in death. So there, the I'm still waiting to see Michigan play against more high level offenses and high level talent. Uh, obviously, Jahan Dotson is going to be a huge test, um, but there's just a lot more adjusting to the opponent with, with this defense, which sounds like a very rudimentary uh, adjustment for in a coaching staff, but uh, that's something that was very necessary heading into this season.
0: And, and when you say that, you basically mean like you can't be so you you like, even though Michigan's defenses have always had talent on them, it's we're doing the exact same thing through hell or high water. And this unit is a little more uh, willing to look at what is the other team Good at what is the other team bad at, and make a plan off of that. Is that just to clarify?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it feels like there are more significant adjustments uh, between games, and you know, just a, a willingness to. The other part of it is a willingness to adjust the personnel. And I also think the system is just better for, uh, particularly with edge brushers, putting them in a position to put up big stats. Uh, both Ojabo and Hutchinson obviously are doing that. And uh, in Don Brown's defense, it was pretty much like the weak side defensive end would be the one tallying up the sacks and the strong side defensive end was kind of expected to take on double teams a huge portion of the time. And that it felt Hmm. like really limited guy. Like they had Rashawn Gary playing that uh, anchor position. They had Aiden Hutchinson playing that anchor position, that strong side end spot. And it, uh, it feels like, you know, Gary is now a very effective NFL outside linebacker. Uh, Hutchinson is now putting up huge stats as an outside linebacker. Uh, Standing those guys up has really, and and making it so that there's less predictability in terms of what they're going to do has really um, maximized this defense. Same with having Daxton Hill play in the slot uh, and really be able to, Michigan can kind of shut down the wide side of the field uh, with Hutchinson, who tends to play, uh, towards the wide side, towards the um, field. And uh, Hill does that since the slot receiver is generally lined up on that side. So it's it's tough to kind of take advantage of open space against Michigan because they've got two NFL-level defenders, uh, high-level possibly NFL-level defenders, just kind of manning that that area of the field. And they also have an excellent tack- tackling secondary. So I don't know. It just seems like they're so much better coach this year. It's hard to, to stop <laughs> talking about it sometimes. Yeah, and if you figure
0: out a way to somehow reduce the influence of all those guys, you have Josh Ross patrolling the middle of the field. He's he's going to tackle everything around him. It seems to me that there there aren't major weaknesses for Penn State to exploit. Like, you know, there was the there was the 2016 game between Penn State and Uh, Michigan where I think Wilton Spate said we knew Penn State's defense could not stop us running so we ran the exact play like 10 times in a row (laughs) to me there is nothing on Michigan's defense that is like just in the bits that I watch that is like super exploitable Mike Yuricich is going to tell Sean Clifford or tell whomever attack that one thing because that will be money all day. Is there anything that, as you look at this Michigan defense, you go, "Ooh, you know what? Maybe that's cause for concern."
1: I think depending on where Jahan Dotson lines up, uh, there's some potential for big plays with him because these cornerbacks have improved by leaps and bounds from last year, especially Vincent Gray. Um, but I think a part of a large part of that has also been being protected more by this defense. So I I think, uh, you know, Daxon Hill is going to be a really rough matchup uh, when Dotson lines up in the slot. And I think Michigan is going to hope that they can get that matchup as much as they can, but they have not had Hill shadow receivers to the outside uh, very much because that really changes the structure of the defense in terms of what he does to help protect against the run. Maybe that's not necessary against Penn State with the way they were running the ball. I don't know. But um, I, I, I think if you have Dotson on the outside uh, or if uh, Penn State can draw up some misdirection kind of stuff, some, you know, using play action to to get guys moving, sometimes Michigan has been caught kind of, especially with some sort of borderline trickery that, that gets uh, Michigan moving side to side. There there is some opportunities to hit some big plays. So I I know my big fear heading into this game is that Dotson just gets loose a few times and that's enough to uh, be the difference in what could be a relatively low scoring game.
0: Yeah, uh, relatively low scoring. Las Vegas has uh, the over under at 48 and a half. Spread has actually moved uh, considerably. Penn State opened this game as, I believe, a one-point favorite. It is now Michigan as a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Ace, let's end this by playing a couple of games of fill-in-the-blank before we go and get your prediction. We'll start with Michigan. Fill in the blank. Michigan wins this game. If blank,
1: uh, if they can create t- any sort of turnovers by Sean Clifford with their pass rush, then they win this game.
0: And Penn state wins this game. If blank,
1: John Dotson gets loose.
0: Uh, Are 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 you uh, is this because you are legitimately terrified of Jahan Dotson or because you have seen KJ Hamler get loose against this defense before and you just have that like, oh, God, it could happen. again. You don't know how much
1: that just cut to the core of me. not only because uh, KJ Hamler did what he did to Michigan, but because um, I watched him for years when he was at Orchard Lake St. Mary's and was uh, I was practically leaving like notes on the doorstep of Schembechler Hall for them to please recruit him harder. And they did not. Um, well, so so here's what I'll say.
0: I did know that about you, and I have discussed this with you. But I asked that question independent <laughs> of that, and I am sorry. Uh, and let's uh let's end by just getting your prediction again. Uh, noon kick ABC from Beaver Stadium. Uh, Michigan one and a half point favorites over under of 48-and-a-half. I haven't checked our pal Bill Connolly to see what SP Plus thinks about this game. I wouldn't be surprised if SP Plus has this, you know, maybe Penn State winning by a point, maybe Michigan winning by a point. It feels to me, in talking to you, like you think this is going to be a test that Michigan hasn't really had outside of that Michigan State game. What do you think about that Total number that Michigan favored by a point and a half number, and what do you think ends up happening in this one?
1: I think, I mean, I I think that number is about right at this point. I do think the most lopsided matchup in this game is Michigan's defensive front against Penn State's offensive line, and that I think makes a bigger difference to me than Jahan Dotson probably being the most dangerous single playmaker in this game, at least in terms of being able to break a big one, uh, especially if Blake Orm's out. So I I mean I, I should probably stick with the pick I made on the podcast on my podcast. And uh it's it's the one I I, I believe in too. Um, even though it's a little homery. I do think Michigan ends up winning this just because uh of Ojabo, Hutchinson and Daxton Hill, uh especially if Hill is able to uh, shadow dots in a fair amount. Michigan can can really lock down that Penn State running game, and that Penn State running game has been pretty underwhelming to this point.
0: You 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 don't have to mince your words. You could say that Penn State's running game
1: is yeah. I I just I don't understand what sort of like curse has befallen Penn State's offensive line for the last like decade or so. Because I know I know they got a good new coach. Like it seems like he was. Well regarded, it seems like it could be different, but it just feels like no matter who comes in, Penn State's players, you have to like lap off two, two recruiting stars the moment offensive (laughs) lineman to campus.
0: It's ridiculous. I mean, I, I'm a little more forgiving of this than most. I think it basically just comes down to the fact that uh, they are basically in their, third offense in three years and their second offensive line coach in three years. And that offensive line coach didn't get a chance to coach them until a uh, uh, fall ball last season. Uh, so like, I like I I'm, I'm a little less pessimistic about the future of Penn state's defensive line the most, but like uh, offensive line the most, but I can't blame anyone. And you like, we'll go into this when we do uh, myself and whomever else do our podcast. But like, To me, the two things that Michigan does best, one, what you just said about their defensive front, especially against Penn State's two tackles, Rasheed Walker and Caden Wallace, who have had some turnstiley tendencies this season, and two, is run the ball against a Penn State front that has been hobbled, that has struggled a bit, that when you are putting a hat on a hat, and you have one or two extra guys you can get in that second level, you're going to be able to really move the ball on them. So I probably am going to end up in your camp, but like if this game ends 17-13 Penn State or just something repulsive like that, would you be shocked?
1: Not at all. Uh, I have been to. Two games at Penn State. It's, sorry, three games. They were um, 2008, 2013, and 2017. And if you want to look those up, you will understand why I am terrified of Michigan traveling to Happy Valley. 2017
0: was the, safe, was the game where Saquon just like had that defense at hell. 2013 was the four-overtime. Like, I... That was before I enrolled at Penn State. So what happened in the 2008 game? I, I honestly don't know. And if our listeners get mad at me, they get mad at That
1: was uh, the year Michigan went three and nine. And uh, Ooh, we were – I was yeah. in undergrad at that point. So we were um, – more optimistic than we should have been that Michigan was going to turn things around after uh, losing to Toledo. Um, so we we drove <laughs> out uh, to Pennsylvania for that game. And uh, Michigan actually took a first half lead at that one. We're looking pretty decent. And then just got uh, it, it. The second half went very poorly. I'll put it that way. Um, yes. I, I. Oh, God almighty. I, I, I've seen Everything some things on the road is with cursed. this Michigan program. I'll put it that way. <laughs>
0: and one last question uh for you that has absolutely nothing to do uh with any of this let's hypothetically say michigan we'll say they drop two more games down the stretch they end up nine and three they end up getting a weird bowl matchup and somehow some way that bowl matchup is against san diego state uh would you How would you feel going up against the Brady Hoke led
1: Aztecs? Exceptionally nervous because that feels like (laughs) a lose-lose scenario. If you beat them, of course you beat them. You had to beat them. Uh, we know how good or bad a coach Brady Hoke is, uh, when it comes down to it, at least at the highest, highest level. Um, and, uh, yeah, if and, you, and lose, if you it's, lose,
0: you lose. You lost. You lost to the guy who uh, who ruined Shane Morris's career with some of the most negligent coaching <laughs> I've ever seen. Uh,
1: only that just one uh, career. My God, um, uh, I feel so bad for Devin Gardner. I, I just like, I, Dude. I want to go up to him and just say I'm sorry, <laughs> and I had nothing I, to do with it.
0: I, I think it was that four overtime game. Dude, every time he was in a big game. It seemed like that dude just battled his ass off. Like I, I, I very much uh, respect Devin Gardner, and I hold a grudge against Brady Hoke for mostly for not letting a quarterback who wore number ninety eight shine because that was very
1: cool. Yes, uh, I mean Gardner came within a point of beating Ohio State on a broken foot, and that uh, will go down as one of the most yeah. overlooked great performances in Michigan history. Well, hopefully
0: people don't overlook how great this performance was from noted Michigan man, Ace Ann Bender. Ace, please tell the people where they can find I it.
1: I appreciate that, man. I am writing at www.thebucketproblem.com, also podcasting uh, on with the name The Bucket Problem, uh, which you can find on Apple and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: And please, if you want to learn more about Michigan football, basketball especially basketball because their basketball team uh looks like it's going to be real real good uh head over there check them out it's very much worth your time thank you ace one more time for coming on and thank you everyone for listening to this edition of roar lions radio as always make sure you're subscribing to the podcast wherever you go and get your podcast if you use apple Podcasts, please subscribe leave us a five-star review please keep reading supporting the site the best way to do that is to buy some shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels one last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.